0: Hi, I'm Jason, the creator of The Great Rooms. Before we get into this episode, we wanted to take the time to thank those who make creating and developing this possible, our patrons. For as low as $2 a month, you can get cool things like early release of episodes, video replies to question and answer segments, behind the scenes videos, merch, and much more. If you would like to support the podcast or our Patreon, head to patreon.com forward slash the Grey Rooms and find the right tier for you. You can also now find all of our episodes on Spotify. Simply open the app and search The Grey Rooms and enjoy both of our seasons, plus some of the publicly released, previously only available to the patrons content. You can also find us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, and any other podcast app out there. We would appreciate a five-star rating and a review if you would feel so inclined. It helps us more than you know. Exciting times and growth for the podcast right now, all of which, again, is credited to our generous patrons. Patrons like Kelly Bear, Amy Nikolai, Arthur Unk, Ashley Enstrom, Austin Furman, Brooks Bigley, Elizabeth Dowell, Isabel Diedrichs, Jason Porus. Kathleen Clyde, Michael Velez, Patrick Stewart, Matt, and Sergio Saucedo. Thank you again to all of you for making this what it is and giving us the ability to make it that much more. If you would like to support us through a one-time support payment, we have provided a PayPal link in the show notes. Again, we are truly grateful for all of your support, whether or not it is financial or just through listening. We truly are grateful for all of you. Now, on to the episode. You awake. The elevator is small and cramped. There is a strange old man. He's mumbling. You hear a ding and he forces you out. You're lost. You have no memory of this place. How did you get here? Where are you? It doesn't matter. Because now you belong to
1: The Grey Rooms.
0: Season two,
2: episode six. This is Jefferson Calling from Infinite Support Solutions. I just think perhaps
1: I should speak
3: to my granddaughter first. I'm trying to get it. This damn desk weighs a ton. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. Oh, that's not going to happen. I know this is a scam, and I'm not dumb enough to give you my credit card number.
2: Please don't make me do this. Please. You broke the rules. This is
3: your consequence.
2: What are you going to do? Fly over here and kick my ass? Yeah. Yeah. The pair of scissors shot across the room suddenly. <laughs> are you going to kill him? No,
3: of course not. We're not? We're not. We're not. We're
2: not. You are. And my manager's head erupted in a shower of blood and gore.
3: There's one more option.
2: And with a heavy clank, the scissors dropped onto the desk in front of me, sticking into the wood so they stood straight up.
3: I've got to get going now. Dinner plans. But Gori Shankar. Shankar, Shankar,
2: I sighed heavily, trying to prevent it from turning to tears. As I pulled the scissors out of the wood of the desk and positioned the tip over my heart. My decision made. My decision made. made. There was no way I could go on after this. Yes. And I knew, just knew that in his mind's eye, my caller saw me do it. Because I could hear the all too familiar smugness that I was sure accompanied a smirk in his voice. Thank
3: Thank you for calling. Thank you for calling. Thank you for calling. Thank you for calling.
2: When you cold call someone, I guess you never know who they're gonna be. That's actually rather scary when you think about it.
4: I only call girls. Usually you wanted to pay them for sex. You know how it goes. Woman sounds so lovely, and then you mention how you'd love to jab them right into the air with your-
2: Todd, p- what the hell, man? What's wrong with you?
4: Well, that's pretty much what they said. Uh, well, their language was a little more colourful. <laughs> uh, and then they hung up. Still consider them my friends, though.
2: <laughs> you're sick. Look, I understand why you're here. I still don't know why I am.
4: Oh, well, maybe it's worse. Samantha, I-, I know you want the truth. But sometimes you don't want to retread your steps.
2: <laughs> I doubt I'm some lonely freak who calls girls and makes them want to puke. Now, don't
4: judge me. I didn't say I did that before all this. I, I thought I was getting revenge on those little pervs that watched me suffer. Just picture Bob watching me trying to get it on with every monster freak or psycho before they kill me. You know I didn't ask to hear this, right? Well, you're lucky. (laughs) The bell is going to go ding. I really wish you'd consider what I said though, miss. Sometimes the truth is better forgotten. i try not to miss mine. I doubt it was that exciting anyway.
2: Bothering me about that story. The man on the phone wasn't even there, but he was controlling me. Controlling others. Why does that feel so familiar to me? Why does it wait? Bob's tape. I said I wanted to hit the church guy. But I couldn't. I saw him do all those horrible things. Why couldn't I act?
1: Come in, come in, Samantha. Bit of a chill in the air tonight. It's nice when you can get out of that nonsense and feel warmth and comfort again.
2: You lied! You're a bastard, Hicks! You're sick! Why? Why did you kill him?
1: What, the boy? Oh, come now, Samantha. It's beneath you to worry about him.
2: He was my friend! And he loved you!
1: now samantha what's gotten into you let me tell you a little story that'll help you feel better now how did it go oh yes
2: what the hell i can't understand you
1: people do seem to like
2: her hey stop talking I i can't understand you Hicks! Shut up! <laughs> this is the worst memory I've ever had!
3: You know that old thing, God earth, God I don't understand that what
2: the you hell you're
1: right? saying! Faction, if you want. Stop it! <laughs> you
2: Jonathan, listen to children. me! <laughs> Why can't I understand him? It's like he's it? in a goddamn <laughs> trance or something! Jonathan, you killed that kid! I want to know why!
5: Stay back! I-I-I'll I, I'll talk to Reverend Hicks. Please!
0: Papa, please Don't- H- hurt me?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you want to know a secret, kid? The Church of the One ain't for your kind. Goddamn queer.
5: That's that's that that's not what the Reverend said. He loves everybody.
0: Yeah, yeah, he says that, all right. Good old Hicks, old Johnny boy. Y'all give him your shit, and he smiles and says thank you, and he blesses you. And you do everything he says, everything, even wearing his T-shirts. God, you're pathetic.
5: I I, I don't understand. Please just I, I won't hurt anybody or, or cause any trouble. I'm a good kid, I swear.
0: Oh, you're right. Time up, boys.. <laughs> <laughs> What you think? What should we cut first?
1: What is going on here?
0: Uh, sir, uh, nothing.
1: You call holding a knife to a kid's face nothing? Would you like me to hold a knife to your face, Davis? Give it
0: to me. Look, Rev, I... We were trying to keep things quiet.
1: The hell you were. Want to explain
0: what's going on? We were just, you know, having a little fun. Scaring the kid.
5: (laughs) I won't tell anybody. I won't tell anybody. I swear. Just please, please let me go.
0: He knows about you and the God is good thing. What do you mean
1: he knows?
0: Just what I said. He was telling us about it. We were going to bring him to you, but he he tried to run. So we got a little, you know.
1: What's your name, kid?
5: Alan, Mr. Reverend, I don't know what's going on. You gotta believe me. These guys tried to kill me. Please, help me.
1: You have any family I can take you to?
5: No, I'm different than them. They don't understand me. I just... I just wanted things to be better. I wanted to get away from people like
3: him.
1: All right, here's what's gonna happen. All of you. Beat the shit out of him. W- what We'll use it. The world behind our wall is full of hate and destruction. One of you guys was driving back and saw him on the road. His t-shirt is ours. You saw it and brought him back. He'll be a message. What message? That times are changing. The end times are coming. We gotta get ready. But don't you worry your pretty little heads about that shit. I said beat him. God is, good. God is great. God is
2: good. God is great. God is great. God is good. God. Jesus, will you
0: get a load of this kid? God is good. He's all mental and brainwashed even during this shit.
1: What did you say, Alan?
5: God is good. God is great. God is good. God is great.
1: Yes. Yes he is, young man.
5: I won't tell anybody.
1: <laughs> God is good. God is great. God is good. God is great. God is, no. God is no. good. God Why are they doing great. this? Stop.
4: God Please. Stop. God Stop it. God, God damn you. Stop God this. Leave him is alone. Great. God is
5: good. God is great. God is
3: good. God is great.
2: Monster did this to you
5: You deserved
2: oh, You deserved more Alan, I'm so sorry I'll I'll do something I will stop him I'll stop him I swear
1: in, Samantha. Bit of a chill in the air tonight. It's nice when you can get out of that nonsense and feel warmth and comfort again.
5: You lied! You're a bastard, Hicks. You're sick! Why? Why did you hurt him?
1: What? The boy? Oh, come now, Samantha. It's beneath you to worry about him.
2: He was my friend! And he loved you! Wait, holy shit, we're doing this again.
1: Yes, yes we are. Pretty disconcerting, isn't it?
2: You, you did something to them, to everybody.
1: I did some bad things, I'll admit, but I did it out of love, I assure you.
5: I'm. God damn it. This is a memory. It's a goddamn memory!
1: Yeah, a little hard to stop me. A bit like a nightmare. It wasn't all bad, though. You'll see. You did end up liking the whole Unity Clan. Got pretty powerful too. I might have helped with that.
2: Why? Why did you do this?
1: Samantha, Samantha, Samantha. I just wanted to tell the world that God is good and that God is great. God is good. God is great. God is good. God is great. God God is is good. good.
3: God is great. God is good. Samantha! Oh,
2: no. No. No, 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 no. This isn't happening. I didn't join those people.
3: Memory is starting to flow in that pea-sized brain of yours. Good. Get over here. We have to kill you.
2: Do you know who this Jonathan Hicks is? He's... Well, he... Apparently, he was in my life.
3: He was the leader of the Church of the One. People debated whether his religion was a cult or one of the ways to save mankind. Pretty much turned out he was a madman.
5: I think I was... I was in that church.
3: I'm sorry.
2: You... think I might have gotten out of it?
3: In the end, I'm not sure if any of the cultists did. Some tried, but even they weren't the same. It's not an easy thing to do.
2: But... Did I?
3: You died. Isn't that getting out?
5: I guess. But then these memories
2: come back. I... want to help them. That boy... Alan. He just wanted a friend. He wanted love.
5: He wanted to be happy. Deserved
2: to be happy. I wish... <laughs> I just wish I could have helped him. I think I tried, but... I was too late. I don't know. Bob, is this what I am?
5: Just a big failure?
3: Mm. Well... I have an idea that will cheer you up. The first room is about a high school boy who discovers his gym coach is more than meets the eye. The second room has... a hedgehog.
2: Bob,
5: hedgehogs are cute. They can't be scary.
3: Okay. Well, that is what you have to choose from. Hedgehog. All right. Well, please sign here. You are going to room 1371. The Hedgehog family.
2: This sounds like a vacation. Seriously. Compared to the shit I'm discovering?
3: So you say... Tell Todd to stop whatever he's been doing in that elevator when you see him.
2: Todd, will you have some self-respect?
4: You don't like Lulabelle? Come on, Samantha. She's the only slightly real woman, doll, thing I can get around here.
2: Bob can hear you.
4: Oh, maybe he likes it, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, uh, you have a key, I suppose.
2: Yeah, it's about hedgehogs or something. Oh,
4: those are cute. It makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. What? Lulaboo! Don't say that about me, I am NOT!
5: Spring, Monday afternoon. The day was beautiful to the point of being magical. The brilliant green grass was dotted with sunny yellow dandelions, complemented with royal blue blooms on wild ginger. The carpet of the ground led to the woods, all browns and greens. Above, a cloudless blue sky kept watch over it all. The scene was serenaded by an unending chorus of birdsong. The green grass was marked with stones carved with names and dates. The older ones sported Bible verses and platitudes about hope and eternity, and greatly outnumbered the newer stones that lay flush to the ground. Granny had insisted on an old-fashioned monument, upright, grand, and phallic. The preacher spoke. Christy? I jerked into the present. Sir? I asked the preacher, who had been my grandmother's pastor.
1: I asked if you wanted
4: to begin.
5: Uh, Oh, yes, sir. And we walked over to the graveside together, where the preacher went into the funeral routine he surely knew by heart. The baker's dozen of attendees were dutiful folk from the church where my grandma had attended for 70 years. My grandmother wasn't a pleasant person. I'm not saying that to be unkind. She knew that she wasn't pleasant and had frequently told me so, as if I needed reminding. I suppose that I should have been touched that anyone showed up at all, especially given that this particular cemetery was almost an hour's drive from town. Granny had taken such pride in not being liked. I had trouble concentrating on the words of the preacher and had to focus on stopping myself from looking around every time I heard a cough or a shuffle. I only allowed myself a few glances around. The preacher asked me if I needed a ride to Granny's house. I thanked him and declined, pointing out that I had parked at Granny's and walked to the cemetery through the woods. It was only about a 15-minute walk, and the path was wide and clear. At the edge of the cemetery stood a small building that looked like a little garage. As I passed it, an older man in gray coveralls was sliding the wide door on one side up on its tracks revealing the small backhoe that would cover the vault that held my grandma's coffin. When I spoke to him, he removed his raven's cap, holding it in his hands. It was an old-fashioned, polite gesture that made me smile. Sir, I have a question about my granny's grave. Pure curiosity. It looks... shallow. It's certainly not six feet deep. Not to tell you how to do your job.
3: Uh, no, ma'am, it's only four feet deep, uh... The vaults are mostly plastic now, but they're real good. Um, Don't know coffins move like they used to. Laws changed a few years ago. We only dig down four feet unless it's a place where the water stands.
5: Ah, I replied and thanked him. He smiled and nodded, if a bit cautiously. After all, I had been raised by the woman in the coffin. The woman who had cheated one out of every three citizens of our town out of everything from land to cars to husbands. He was polite, but would never be my friend. Nobody here wanted to be my friend. Tuesday. As unhappy as my childhood with Granny had been, I had always loved our house. They don't build them like this anymore. Trite, I know, but it's true in Granny's house, all wood floors and high ceilings. Built before the concept of an open floor plan, it has actual rooms with doors that close, making every part of the house its own little world. It's way out in the country, which suited Granny, down a one-lane road flanked by trees that would be brilliant in autumn. It had never occurred to me to be afraid, living so far away from any neighbors, so far from town. It was like living in a park. When I decided that I would move back in after my grandmother passed, I had to entertain the thought of changing out some of the furniture. Really, there was no need. The only changes I made were to convert one of the bedrooms into my home gym and to get new, overstuffed pillows for the couch in the room between the kitchen and garage. Granny had always called it the informal living room. I preferred to call it the family room, even though with Granny gone, I literally had no family. Wednesday. I realized with the start that I hadn't pumped any iron in three days. Even though I didn't compete as a bodybuilder anymore, and even though I'd sold my gym, I couldn't stand the thought of getting out of shape. I spent most of the day working out and went to bed early, with extra pillows arranged so that it would feel like someone was sleeping beside me. Thursday. I walked to Granny's grave. As I passed the little garage, I stopped and peeked in the window. The building was full of tarps, wire flower stands, and sheets of fake turf. The backhoe was parked to one side, the keys in the ignition. After visiting Granny, I went home and worked out for a few hours. My muscles are good company, but I still felt lonely. Friday. I finally got around to taking all the paperwork for Granny's life insurance policy to the agent in town. She had left everything to me, and I was the beneficiary of her life insurance. Since I was making the trek into town anyway, I made an appointment with her lawyer to discuss transferral of her assets. The attorney and I went over everything there was to go over. Afterwards, I headed to the other side of town to drop off the paperwork for the insurance. The insurance agent was also a taxidermist, with his office in the back of a small, low ceilinged building on the edge of the city limits. I hated going there. The front room was a showroom full of his handiwork. It smelled like borax, leather, and vinegar, and it was terrible. Glass eyes from mounted deer heads followed me across the room. I was forced to pass stuffed raccoons, snakes, and even a terrier as I walked to his office. He greeted me warmly enough, although I could tell he was trying his hardest not to stare at my Amazon arms. He flinched a little when I shook his hand and he felt my thick calluses, evidence of years of free weights and pull-ups. When we finished, I asked to use the bathroom and was told, with a nod towards the closed door, to walk through the processing room. I opened the door onto a room that looked much like a small version of my high school chemistry lab. I was afraid that I would see an animal skin torn from its body its sockets eyeless and dark, or worse, a flayed carcass tossed casually into a garbage can. I didn't see any signs of animals though, and I quickly made my way to the bathroom and did my business. I was walking back through, again quickly, when I spied a small shape from the corner of my eye. I turned and saw a little stuffed hedgehog on a metal table in the middle of the room. I looked around for the taxidermist, but he must have still been in his office. The hedgehog looked like something out of a children's story. I walked over to him. No, he wasn't stuffed, I realized as his eyes met mine and blinked. The hedgehog shuffled and began making a sound as he waddled in my direction. I giggled, gently reaching out and touching his head. You sound like a little locomotive. Chug sniff, chuff sniff, chug sniff. I felt a chill in my stomach as I realized why the little guy was in this particular room. I looked around to make sure that the taxidermist was still in his office. I could hear that he was talking on the phone with someone. Two minutes later, I was driving home, the hedgehog on my passenger seat. I think your name is Anthony, I said, reaching over to scratch his head. Sir Anthony Hedgehog I, king of all you survey. Another Thursday Sir Anthony had made himself ride right at home as soon as we walked in the door. I had made a little hiding box for him, like the internet suggested, but he seemed to be happier out and about, wandering the house freely. He immediately took to the litter box, and I never found any unpleasant surprises on the floor. Don't ask me how, but Sir Anthony could climb. I never saw him do it, but he would be on the floor one minute, contentedly nosing around, and then I'd look up to see him on the couch or coffee table. He was an adorable enigma. I enjoyed Sir Anthony's company, but he wasn't human. I may have been a lonely mess, but I knew that I needed some human company. I just didn't know where to start. I'd never even had any kind of social media. When I was competing in bodybuilding shows, my coach, God rest his soul, maintained all social media for me. And my assistant manager at the gym took care of any online presence for my business. It was she who had suggested that I try an online dating app. I was lonely, true. But the thought of putting myself online in search of love made me feel a bit dirty and sick. Most of the pictures I had of myself were competition photos, with my bits barely covered by my competition bikinis. My God, the disgusting things men would say to me at competitions... My coach was constantly having to field nasty emails and delete obscene comments on social media. No, that wouldn't work. I was pondering all this on Thursday morning while having a smoothie and reading the paper on my tablet. I was swiping over to sports when two little paws plopped down on the tablet, making the pages of the paper flip. (laughs) Laughing, I reached down and moved Sir Anthony to the side of the tablet. He stared up at me, then turned and tapped his nose onto the screen. What's so important that you want me to see, boy? I asked, picking up the tablet and scanning the screen. Is Jimmy trapped in the old abandoned mine? I was looking at a bio, a profile, of a man about my age. A personal ad. How delightfully (laughs) old-fashioned. Okay, okay, Sir Anthony, I'll give it a read. Single. A writer, published in several national newspapers, political essayist, instructor at the community college, enjoys hiking, exercise, and just staying home. The profile included his favorite quote. There is never any reason to be unkind. Even if you're angry, you can express that anger with kindness. There was no photo, but I didn't care. He was someone I wanted to meet. There was a number at the end of the profile. I called the number on the listing and got all the info I needed in order to meet him. Elated, I scooped up my little friend and rubbed my nose to his. The man's name was Henry, and we would meet that very night. For the first time in a long time, I felt hopeful and not at all lonely. After a quick two-hour workout, I headed to town to buy a new dress. Friday. As hard as it is for me to believe, I wasn't the least bit nervous about seeing Henry for the first time, despite it being at a large gathering where I hardly knew anyone. Henry was everything I'd hoped. I not only met him, but many of his friends. They all raved about him. None of them knew me, which isn't surprising, although they seemed to know of me, thanks to my grandmother. After a few hours, the gathering was breaking up. Henry said that he had to attend a funeral the next day. As it turned out, the graveside service was to be in the cemetery close to my house. He said that he was obligated to go to the service, but if it wouldn't be too weird, would I like to meet him there after? I told him that it was terribly weird, so yes, of course I would meet him. I added, I'd love for you to meet my hedgehog.
3: I will be heartbroken if I don't meet Sir Anthony.
5: And we both laughed, loudly enough to get some odd looks. (laughs) (laughs) As I left him, he said in an emotional, raspy voice, Christy,
3: I think you may be it for me.
5: Saturday. Henry and I stood talking in the cemetery for a good two hours. As I walked him to his car... He asked if he could come back over later that evening. I said of course. He was on my doorstep at 10 o'clock p.m. that night. He seemed to love my house as much as I did. Sir Anthony waddled right into his hand and made his happy locomotive sound. We sat on the couch and talked until three. Sunday. I woke up to a a basm between my shoulders that caused a wave of nausea to wash over me. Somehow, I'd thrown out my back. I got out of my bed, noticing with some shame that the sheets were filthy, probably from walking outside in my bare feet. I hoped that Henry hadn't noticed my dirty feet the night before during our marathon conversation. I walked stiffly to the kitchen and looked over to the family room, my heart warming. Henry was on the couch, asleep. Sir Anthony was perched upon Henry's head, curled up and sleeping as well. I quickly drank some water and took a couple of ibuprofen and then brushed my teeth and put clean sheets on my bed. After gently setting Sir Anthony on the floor, I shook Henry awake. He looked up at me with his perfect hazel eyes. Taking both of his hands in mine, I led him down the hall to my room. Summer, Monday morning. I picked up Sir Anthony and rubbed my nose to his. Henry sat on the couch, nose in a book. Sir Anthony sniffed the plain gold wedding band on the ring finger of my left hand. Henry had made an honest woman out of me. Fall, Saturday morning. Sir Anthony began making his little locomotive sound. I looked to see him nudging a piece of paper towards me. It must have come from the pile of mail I'd picked up in town the day before, along with a real newspaper. I took it, giving Sir Anthony a thank you head scratch. As I read the words on the paper, my heart began a joyful gallop and I felt tears of unreserved happiness pool in my eyes.
3: Honey, are you okay?
5: Henry asked from the couch. The newspaper spread all around him. It's happening, I said, scarcely able to believe it. Henry, it's happening. We're going to be parents. Henry and I had decided to try for adoption a couple months back, just after he'd moved in. We knew what people would think, that we should focus on being a couple and get used to married life before starting a family, especially since we'd rushed into our relationship at such breakneck pace. But neither of us was getting any younger, and I decided that I really did want children. Motherhood was something I'd never considered before meeting Henry, and we had decided on adoption since there were so many children who needed a home. A newborn would be nice, But I was thrilled to read that we were soon to be the parents of a toddling 18-month-old boy.
3: Christy, do you realize what this means? We'll have a baby in the family for Christmas. We can do Santa! I threw my arms around him and laughed.
5: (laughs) And we'll leave out cookies and milk for him and carrots for the reindeer. Sir Anthony chugged happily as he waddled across the floor towards me. I could swear that he was smiling. I scooped him up and went to Henry who cradled me in his lap and buried his face in my hair. I held him too and we cried tears of happy disbelief until it was time to go and pick up our son. We would call him Jesse. Sunday. I woke up the next morning in pain. My back, arms, and shoulders felt as if the muscles had been shredded, and my mouth was sandpaper. I called to Henry to please bring me a glass of water, but he didn't answer. Struggling against a world of pain, I managed to pull myself out of bed and limp into the living room. There, my man and baby slept, curled up together on the couch. Happy tears ran down my face as I walked into the kitchen, where I drank a glass of water and tossed back five ibuprofen. I grabbed my cell and crept back into the living room. I took about 15 pictures of my guys. Sir Anthony had somehow gotten into the cuddle, and the sheer cuteness of the scene made me forget the ravaged muscles in my back. I worked out, showered, dressed, and made breakfast before they, my family, woke up. As our son ate his breakfast, looking curiously from Henry to me, Sir Anthony waddled into the kitchen. The baby smiled and squealed delightedly, pointing at the hedgehog. I grabbed my cell off the counter and began snapping pictures. Christmas. I don't know if Jesse will remember this first Christmas with us. I took enough photos and videos to recreate the whole thing for him when he's older. Everything was just perfect. It was the Christmas I'd never had with my granny. Winter, Monday morning. You would think that almost 20 years of working out and healthy living would have made my back unbreakable. I would too. The truth is, my back had turned into an alarm clock, waking me every morning with an agonizing screech. Henry tried to help, but his back rubs were horrible. The one thing he didn't do well. I was taking around 10 ibuprofen a day at this point. This morning the pain wasn't quite as bad, but it was enough for me to pop 3 ibuprofen with my orange juice. I was even considering abbreviating my morning workout. If my back got worse, I would need to find some help. I grabbed my tablet and navigated to the local paper, which Henry called the Daily Disappointment. I skimmed the headlines and then flipped over to the obituaries. Late Spring, Saturday morning. This morning, as I was finalizing plans for a live-in nanny, it hit me that I hadn't felt lonely in a very long time. Henry and I were so incredibly happy, and Jesse was thriving. He was a naturally happy child, and he loved Sir Anthony. They slept together every night and were inseparable during the day. I wanted people to know that I was happy. It would be disingenuous of me to claim that I wanted to share my happiness with others or even to inspire other lonely people. The truth was I wanted to show the outside world that I wasn't a solitary recluse and that I bore no similarity to the woman who had raised me. I reluctantly let Henry draw me into a conversation about social media.
3: We can do a family page.
5: He proposed, wide-eyed at the prospect.
3: You can send friend requests to all of your high school buddies.
5: When I rolled my eyes at this, he persisted.
3: Or how about the folks at your gym? I'm sure they'd like to catch up with you. With social media, you only have to show the world what you want them to see.
5: I molded over, still feeling a reluctant knot in the pit of my stomach matching the excruciating knot in my back. Henry persisted.
3: How about we post just the pictures and videos of us with Sir Anthony? We'll call the page The Hedgehog Family. Sunday
5: morning. Henry and I looked through our pictures and videos all morning. To my relief, I was barely in any of them, save a few selfies. Then we set up our social media account, which Henry set as public. I was nervous about being so exposed, but Henry said that he would field any communication. I placed my hand over his, and together we clicked publish and waited. The first response came within five minutes. You sick freak. If this is a joke, it's not funny. What the hell's the matter with you? And, just like that, the world ended. Sunday afternoon. The sheriff was on the phone, speaking to me the way one speaks to a child or to an idiot. Stay right
1: there, Miss Christie. Someone will be over soon to see about you. It's gonna be all right.
5: I terminated the call and tossed the phone in the wastebasket. I should have heeded my intuition about social media. Putting the Hedgehog family online had been a grave error. I had closed the doors into the family room, except for the door leading out to the garage. It had been propped open for over an hour since I'd cranked the car, which was still running. Jesse was cuddled up with his daddy on the couch nuzzling nose to nose, oblivious. Sir Anthony was at my feet. Oh, I laughed. <laughs> hey there, Sir Anthony Hedgehog First. I reached down and picked up my prickly little buddy, the cornerstone of the family, the first piece in my happy puzzle. King of all you survey. Still cradling Sir Anthony up to my chest, I crouched at the gas fireplace, blowing out the pilot light and opening the gas all the way. The smell of exhaust from the car was thick in the air. I mused at the thought of whoever would find us. What will they think they've found? They'll probably call me a monster, a ghoul. They will begin to put the pieces together as they see them. The backhoe and the unlocked shed, the keys always in the ignition, The obituaries, my loneliness. I could hear their conversations. Yes, it was really weird. She was at his visitation, but they'd never met. And the way she kept looking at him. They will discuss my physical strength and how it allowed me to do the unthinkable on a daily basis for a year. They'll think they have found what's left of a lonely, sick woman. Her violated, desecrated victims and a stuffed and mounted hedgehog filched last year from a taxidermist. That's what they will think. And they'll be wrong. The present. The end. I look at them. They're on the couch. Henry, Jesse, Sir Anthony, my friends, my loves, my family. A sob of gratitude, love, and loss wells up in my chest. Henry reaches his hand out to me and slides over to make room. Jesse claps and bounces in his daddy's lap. Sir Anthony and I take our place beside them on the couch. Linking my arm through Henry's, with Jesse resting his head on my lap. (sighs) I sigh a happy sigh. And close my eyes.
0: The Hedgehog Family, written by Jennifer Winter and performed by Aaron Lillis as Christie, Graham Rowett as Henry, Paul Arbisi as the gravedigger, Justin McCarthy as the preacher, and Jason Wilson as the police officer. The Samantha Winter's episode was written by Brian Black and performed by Sarah Thomas as Samantha Graham Rowett as Bob Alistair Mackey as Todd David Cummings as Reverend Hicks Ellie Hirschman as The Boy and Jason Wilson as That Douchebag Davis Musical composition for this episode was by J.M. Scherf Web design, marketing, and promotions by Cassie Pertit. Social media management and Patreon support by Brooks Bigley Audio engineering and sound design was by me Jason Wilson. We are so very thankful to get the chance to deliver another top-notch production for you to enjoy. We are always so grateful to the talented authors and actors and actresses we get the chance to work with. We also are in debt to those that help make this what it is, our supporters and patrons. If you would consider being a patron, please head over to patreon.com forward slash the gray rooms and find the tier that fits you. Also, we have a link to our PayPal in the show notes for you to utilize if you would like to consider donating that way. Well, we are sailing right along and the season is on fire. We again appreciate you for giving us your time and attention and we will continue to deliver premium content for you to enjoy. Please don't forget to leave us a rating and a review. It helps more than you know. Again, thank you. And we will see you in two weeks.